Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, a look back to round one. Penalties handed out, multiple riders ruled out due to injury. Who surprised us? And having done the double, sprint and Grand Prix win, is this title sealed already for Peko Bagnaia? Plus, we're straight into another race weekend as we preview round two of MotoGP in Argentina. Remember, we'd love to hear from you, your thoughts, your comments, your questions. You can voice note us or just send in uh, to our email. It's podcast at crash.net. Keep your voice notes to around 30 seconds. Leave your name and where you're from and we'll try and get you on the show. Right. The recording day is a Wednesday, the 29th of March. Uh, my name is Harry Benjamin joining me as ever is Crash Moto GP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewen. Well, Keith, first weekend of the year done. I think first of all, do we like the new format? Sprint. Uh, I'm glad. Happy days. I'm glad it's Wednesday because we've had time to recover. <laughs> I think from the whole thing. I think uh, most people, and also we've managed to catch up with some of the PR that's been spilling out at the moment from. Uh, various edicts that are not very accurate coming from the organizers which um, we need to get across as well i love the the sprint race you know i love the whole thing portugal is one of those race tracks i'm glad it was the first round difficult difficult round from for many people of course and like i think i think i said in the last podcast when you get to the first track you get to racing testing albeit not much testing of course nowadays but once you've got through all of that and you get to a racetrack for a race that's when you see the real stuff that's when you see what everybody's properly capable of it's all very well being able to run one lap on your own, maybe with a bit of a slipstream off your teammate or whatever it might be during testing. But once you've got 22 bikes around you, or 21 as it turned out on that Sunday, then that's when you find out what you've really, really got. And it was shock after shock after shock after shock. I mean, the KTM, what were we saying last week? That's going to be the, the one that's going to be the most disappointing out of everything. And then Jack Miller goes and does what he does, you know, <laughs> over... Free practice or practice, whatever it is now, free practice. We didn't get to see much of it, did we? Because the television messed it all up. But we'll talk about that, I'm sure, too. But it was just shock after shock. And then when Marquez manages to stick the Honda on pole, I mean, my eyes are as wide as saucers all through the weekend. And then, of course, we got to the sprint race, which I think everybody was in our house. We were all behind the sofa. It was a bit like the Daleks first landed on <laughs> yeah. Doctor Who. You know, you, you hid from them. And you just waited for what was going to happen. And... It was probably more exciting than I even thought it was going to be. I mean, that first lap was just... I can't tell you how difficult it is to race motorbikes at that level, at that performance level, with bikes being as close as they are and with 
the kind of wild cards that are up there that you weren't expecting to be in the mix at that in that first lap. Just, I mean, the hairs are on my standing on end, and I've watched the bloody thing three times since since the weekend's live live stuff. Was I disappointed? Not at all. I think that I love the sprint race. It's very controversial. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of you know whinging going on uh, about the extra stresses it puts on. It's all the stuff that we've covered already. Um, you know, you you the safety commission on a, on a Friday night is going to be a live riders. Right? You know, you got Alicia Spargo, who's, who's an old stager now. He's an old boy. Um, that that is less than impressed, and then you've got some of the youngsters that are really, really up for the extra race. You know, track time. There's not much more difference in in the amount of time they're going on track. But if you start looking at it from a financial point of view, from a rider perspective, you know, am I getting paid more? Am I getting you know, rah 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 rah? From a business perspective, the riders are losing out a bit. From a mechanics and technical perspective, we've all talked about it. They're losing out. The teams are going to lose out. You can't have this kind of carnage going on bikes being wrecked all over the place without it having a knock-on effect 42 races in a year um but me and pete can can get waffling about the uh, contractual <laughs> side of it in a little while i'm sure well you I know some it. someone um emailed us uh a couple of weeks ago it, it, while we were just sort of filling the pre-season uh air being like guys you know you need someone down on the ground giving you information come on and i was just thinking well hang on there's no there's no one to be down on the ground yet we've had one race and we have got a man on the ground it's bloody pete mclaren (laughs) so pete what was it you were there you know with this new format and frenzy you know people complaining that moto 2 and moto 3 warm-ups being sacrificed uh people didn't want the sprint their fear of injury as we'll get on to for the main grand prix what was it like in the paddock how was how was the vibe uh, the vibe was great. I mean, again, you've got the split that, that Keith mentioned, which is, I think the riders and the teams are kind of like, they're, they're not keen on the extra stress for all the all the things that Keith mentioned, but for everyone else, media included, the Saturdays are unbelievable now. In fact, for me, it was, it was weird on Sunday morning because it was almost like going to a racetrack the day after a race, because literally it was, wasn't uh, it? You know, you think, is this a test? <laughs> or, or, oh, no, no, there's another race today. But of course, Sunday mornings are now much more sort of, gentle aren't they the sort of the, the build up to the, as you say no motor two warm up no motor three there's only motor gp warm up and then you have the three races sort of starting later in the morning so it was quite strange after the intensity of saturday free practice qualifying sprint race and then you know everything there i i thought the saturday was as a show as entertainment was fantastic now and i think if i was going to a grand prix i mean you know, go on the saturday if the t- tickets are cheaper you get everything now you get the most you know intense laps of the weekend in qualifying and you get a race and if money's a bit tight, you can you can go home and watch the the main event on Sunday, having had all the knowledge of being there and walking around the track and seeing all the all the points, if you like. So yeah, I mean, but there is definitely, as Keith highlighted, there there, there is a, a lot of criticism within, let's say, the teams and, and and within the riders of not really liking the intensity of it. But this was only the first event, you know, they will get used to it. And this was a very unique track, as we've mentioned before, quite narrow, easy to make mistakes. You know, would we have seen all these incidents if it had been at Qatar, a much bigger track? A much, you know, who knows? I think we've, we've got to reserve judgment a little bit on that. I think it's easy to go, look, you know, we had all these incidents. We've had riders injured. It must be the sprint race. Well, you know, maybe it wouldn't have happened at another track. Let's let's wait a little bit and see on that. I'll be waiting for Matt Oxley to blame it on Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> one of those situations where I think you, you Pete, everything Pete said is absolutely bang on there I can't add much to it other than the fact that it, Portugal is a difficult racetrack I mean some of the accidents we saw there you know if you look at them I, I looked at them again this morning I thought before we before we do this podcast I've been have a just quick look just to make sure that what's in my head is right because you can make that kind of knee-jerk decision knee-jerk comment about what's going on 
the Marini accident, you know, where he rushed up the inside of Bastianini, you kind of look at it and you think, well, he was a little bit wide on the way in there and Marini took the opportunity. You would do that all day long. That's what he's paid to do is to try and get underneath him. The fact he lost it under him and he wiped the pair of them out, you know, is unfortunate. The Mark Marquez incident. Mark Marquez was on a mission. I mean, he was all weekend. I mean, the thing that worries me about Mark at the moment is he's a brilliant, brilliant rider. He didn't need to do some of the things he did at the weekend, although we would expect him to do it. But I'm just questioning whether we've lo- whether he's lost a little bit of that magic. You know how he could get away with unbelievable things? Has he just lost that tiny bit of magic? You know, we saw some magic from Acosta. And, you know, in Movo 2, for instance, he looks like taking the mantle of, of, of Marquez when it comes to something magical you watch on a motorbike. I mean, as an, it's, it's hard to discern even as an ex-motorcycle racer. And, and it's why we call them aliens. You know, those that do something on a bike that can't really be even understood by, by quality motorcycle racers. And I just wonder whether Mark, his head, he knew he'd got to do something outrageous to be at the front. He knew the Honda isn't the bike at the moment, so he had to do something completely outrageous. And he started early on. The penalty he got, which I'm sure we're going to get to in a bit as well, because that was another great cock up by the organisers, but we'll get there. Um, is it enough? I don't think it's going to make any difference. I think we're in the same situation with these guys at the moment as we were with Moto3. You can penalise them, you can give them long laps, you can make them start from pit lane. It's not going to make any difference at this point. Those bikes are so tight, so close, everyone knows what they've got to do in those early laps to give themselves a chance to be there later on. Unless you're Joanne Zarco, of course, and you sit back and wait and go very French and then just zap everybody <laughs> on the last lap. <laughs> that was some <laughs> sensational Zarco riding, wasn't it? But, I mean, it, 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 it was a proper hero to zero moment, really, wasn't it, for Marc Marquez? You know, the qualifying was sensational. But even then, you know, we, uh, Rob from uh, Georgia in the USA has is, is, uh, is said, you know, Following people that closely in qualifying, Mark Marquez has done it on a regular basis. How is that class? You know, how can that be allowed? Back in the day, that was a bit of a no-no, really. Or that's what uh, Rob says. So Keith is shaking his head, disagreeing. Go on, Keith. Well, it's what you it's what you do. Mark Marquez is a ruthless sod. He will do whatever it takes to get himself where he needs to be. And, and as far as pinching someone's draft. <laughs> It might be a no-no in the paddock, you know, no, no, I would never do that. And the first opportunity you've got, you do it. You know, if, mm. if you're going to grab half a second or quarter of a second or, or a hundredth of a second as it is now, um, advantage to, to, you know, Mark has shown no shame when it comes to doing things that people might say is, is ungentlemanly by dragging, being dragged around. And he annoys the hell out of other riders. When you've got the likes of Mark Marquez, you know, being pulled by someone along he's prepared to do whatever it takes and that's what's slightly scary about mark and that's what keeps everybody on edge around him because he is prepared to do whatever you know when they issue weapons from OGP as well then he'll be using all of them he'll be the first <laughs> he'll be the first he'll be there with the big dagger in the you know he like, he is the weapon arguably because let's talk about well, that crash then you know uh, well documented he, he's got a penalty uh, for it We'll come on to that as well. But he took out Miguel Oliveira, a big no-no at the Portuguese Grand Prix. Jorge Martin swept up in that as well. But he also had an incident on the first lap where he came together with another rider. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head now. But um, it was it was a bit all over the place, Marquez Pete. Let's talk about the penalty. 
what's he got and when does he need to take it are the main questions i think <laughs> well he got a double long lap penalty uh and then the question of when he needs to take it yes that's that's uh, sort of evolved i suppose you might say politely so initially the statement came out and it said he will take it at the you know the grand prix of argentina which obviously is this weekend then you know, Marquez, even when he spoke to us on Sunday night, he had his hand in a cast. Now, he didn't want to dwell on, you know, he said, look, doesn't matter about my injuries today is about my mistake, big mistake I've made, you know, you know, and injuring Miguel and, and all this. So, of course, it then turned out that he has broken this bone in his hand. He's had surgery, um, so he won't be in Argentina. Now, of course, if the penalty says it's to be served in Argentina and you're not there. The implication is that you don't have a penalty, that it, he would come back at round three and the penalty would be gone. Well, the FIM then sort of clarified that and made clear that he'll serve it at his next race. So they've sort of changed the wording on that a bit. So presumably he comes back at Kota, which is that track that he's got this incredible record at, of course. He will he will serve the double long lap there. Now, the issue is, and a lot of riders, Aleish was one of them, you know, saying this penalty is not enough. But it then emerged that there was this briefing. All, I mean, all of the classes, they have a briefing with the stewards at the start of the season. It's, it's normal, whether it's in Qatar, Portimao, they get them all in the room like schoolboys and the headmaster talks to them and, and just says, you know, this is what's allowed, this isn't, reminds them of the things that they're going to be looking for and everything else. Now, during that meeting, it seems, they told the riders, if you do if you do something dangerous that causes an accident, for the first offence, you'll get a long lap or double long lap. And then it goes to uh, I think a pit lane start or something and then a ride through penalty. So because they've done that on Thursday, they've been told that, of course, Marquez has his incident. They've almost tied their hands a bit, haven't they? Because they've almost said, well, that's the penalty they can give. So they couldn't really jump to a harsher penalty, having just said that that will be the penalty you get. Uh, you know, Mark was asked, well, what do you, do you think that's strong enough? And he said, well, look, he explained what I'd said there, that that's what they were told. And therefore, he accepts the penalty completely because that's what they were told it would be. But he also said he would accept it if it was harsher. But yes, yeah, so you've also got this whole controversy now of, well, you know, shouldn't shouldn't it maybe have been something stronger than that? Well, it gets even worse than that, doesn't it? Because then you could look at the Marini incident when he took out Bastianini. You know, as it happens, Bastianini was a little wide in there, and and Marini took the opportunity to get up the inside of him. The fact he lost the front in the in the in, the, in doing so, you know, can you penalise for that? Should you have penalised for that? My personal opinion is no. There's a racing incident. He took the opportunity to get under him and lost it in in the middle. But he do he took Bastianini out, one of the main Ducati guys. I mean. All of this penalty business becomes so, so incredibly difficult to manage. In Marquez's case, is 100% a penalty. There was, you know, his mistake on the way, and he was already out of control on the opening lap, and he just, he looked to me like he was struggling a bit with the front end anyway. He looked like he was, you know, he'd locked up a couple of times on the front, and that's what, in the end, I think, did for him on this occasion. Just got in there a little bit hot, and you just can't scrub the speed off. You know, there's no, once you've gone, you know, 300 mil further up the track than you should have done in the first place. You're done. You can't. You can't slow it down anymore because you're using the absolute maximum degree of braking, maximum amount of grip. But I, I kind of feel like we're we're overreacting a little bit over the whole of Portugal. It, it feels to me like it's a, an overreaction. Most of these incidents are, you know, everybody was on edge. Everybody was going for it. Portugal is a difficult racetrack. That particular place. You know, where you come off the plateau of the start and finish straight and drop there right in the braking area, dropping off the edge of a cliff into the braking area, trail braking into turn one. Very, very technically difficult part of the track. The wind had changed as well on the Sunday. There was a different direction for everything, which which brings another element into it. You've got more fuel on. 
than you had him for the for the sprint race. So you've you've had the the, the warm up in the morning, and then you've got a race that's got a full tank of fuel on it. It's, it's all different when you get to your to your main race. I, I feel that will settle down. Having said that, getting to Argentina, where the track doesn't even clean up today too normally, maybe sometimes not until a race day. We've got a dirty, filthy racetrack in very slippy conditions anyway. It's a low-grip racetrack, which is going to make a big difference as well when we get there. And you've got you know, your, your track time, your practice time shortened to a great extent. Then you've got a sprint race. Then you've got the Sunday race as well. It's, it's going to be difficult in Argentina. This won't settle down until we get into Europe proper later on in the year for me. I mean... Mark losing the front is nothing new, is it? I mean, that's what he does. He pushes the limit you know, all the time, more than any other rider. And the trouble was that his escape plan didn't work. You know, we've seen in the past, he lifts off the brakes and he goes straight, doesn't he? He tries to go to the outside of the track, as he did behind Pedroza in Austria a few years back. Do you remember in practice? He lost the front, very similar, picked it up, went behind him. There we are. This time he let go of the brakes, kept leaning in. Disaster. So, you know, but that's not an excuse. You know, he's got to give more margin to the riders around him. You saw going in, the Honda was losing uh, losing grip out of the last corner. Um, they're, they're suffering with a lack of drive. He's losing ground on the straights. Taka Nakagami couldn't even use the medium rear tyre. He said he couldn't get any grip. He, he had to use the soft. Marquez did use the medium. So he's, you know, he's struggling a bit there. But also he's in no rush because he's on the medium tyre. He could have waited. You know, there's no urgency, let's say, to push in the early laps. And he, he, he made that clear. He went into turn one, and actually Vinales made ground on Mark on the brakes behind him. But they both closed up on the two ahead. But then when they when they get to turn three, as Keith says, Mark is the one out of sync with everybody. He just, he just you know, brakes too late, pushes too hard. And then because they're all so close, it's just a chain reaction then, isn't it? And uh, yeah, disaster really. But I mean, it's, it's resulted in Oliveira, as we know now, missing Argentina as well. Martin's got, I think, a broken toe and perhaps something wrong with his ankle. So immediately you've got three riders injured in that in that one move. And Mark looked shocked. I have to say, when uh, in, in the hospitality, when he when he met the media and spoke to them, he looked he looked shocked. Very, you know, Mark's had a lot of accidents in his career, but he was really, you know, was it the presumably the fact that he'd injured Oliveira? Um, but maybe also, you know, he threw away a golden chance there, didn't he? I mean, he could have left second in the world championship. I mean, Bastianini out, Cotterari, bad race, Aleix, bad race. He'd have that podium in the sprint race. He could have easily had a second podium. He'd have have left second in the world championship. I mean, who would have thought that going into the event? Instead, here he is. He's out. He's going to give away potentially 37 points in Argentina as well. And then he's going to have the double long lap at Cota. It's the fourth year in a row, isn't it? Marmarquez has missed one race, well, at least one race through injury. Uh, You know, disaster really all round. I think also looking at Portugal in as much as that test they had the week before gave everybody an opportunity to hone their skills down to to, to the final few thousands of a second. KTM still had something in the tank and got themselves forward. As we saw, Jack Miller was absolutely outstanding on the KTM to come through. Aprilia still were picking things up by the time we got to race day. But we had this you know perfect storm almost, didn't we, at Portugal. Difficult racetrack, technically quite hard. Mark had to force his, his issues because the Honda wasn't quite where he wanted it to be. But... You know, when we get to Argentina, there'll be a little bit more disparity, I think, with some of some of the teams. You know, they'll, you'll have that slight breathing gap between each and every one of them. How do you fix it? There's, there's everybody's bleating and shouting and screaming for the rooftops. This can't go on. This can't go on. It's all very well saying it can't go on. It is going to go on because that's what we've got. It's kind of annoying listening to everybody saying it can't go on. Great. What are the alternatives? Where do we go from here? Nowhere. You can put as many penalties on there as you like. I don't see it changing rider attitude at all. A, financial, 
you know, people talk about make the rider pay. They don't know riders very well. <laughs> you know, riders are just not even interested in the money. That's down to the management. Get as much money in the bank as you possibly can. Management will sort that little lot out. Um, but the point is, is there, it ain't going to change a rider's attitude at all. It never did any, you know, even back in the bloody dim and distant past that I remember. You don't worry about the money. You do at the end of the year when you ain't got any, but you don't worry about it when it comes to racing. So that's not going to make any difference. Penalties, say la vie. You know, you do what you do. You pick up a penalty because you've made a mistake. Okay, so what? We just have to deal with it. You're never going to stop somebody like Mark Marquez who's on a slower bike that's not quite right from forcing the issue early on in a race because he's got to get to the front. You know, what was it? The, I think Valentino used to say, didn't he? You've got to snap straight back. You know, as soon as somebody makes a pass on you, you've got to snap straight back, spoil their rhythm. Because as soon as them Ducatis get into a rhythm, get out front, they're gone. You can't do anything about them once they're up there. You've got to be able to force them out, you know, in the braking area or, or into the early part of the corner. None of that is going to change. You know, I worry about safety. I think these bikes now are so quick into a corner and quick out of a corner, which makes them fast in a straight line. We are seeing bikes re reach barriers again. You know, Polis Bargo had that horrible accident that, that took him to the barrier, it smashed his jaw, and, you know, he's in he's not in a very comfortable way at all, Polis Bargo. So you can imagine why Aleishi's screaming from the rooftop because Aleishi's quite a what's emotive, passionate kind of a guy. And I, I'm, I would hate, I hate people that vilify people like Alacious Bargo. I think that he, I, I like to hear someone who stands up for what he believes in. So Alacious Bargo is a great guy, believes in safety, tries to shout it out, but he's a bit old fashioned. He's a bit of an old bloke in the race paddock nowadays. We all remember, you know, you're going out on the racetrack and this young bloke stuffs you up the inside and gives you a smack into the side. They're having a great time, not thinking about the safety side of it, whereas when you get a bit older, you start to think about that a little bit. But these bikes are getting so fast, when we get to Saxon Ring and places like that where the track's slightly old-fashioned and the barriers are much closer, something will have to be done in the rules package that comes up 2024 that starts to alter that momentum. The velocity, it's really simple, even for a thick Essex boy like me. Fact of the matter is, more velocity in a corner means you need more runoff. Otherwise, you start reaching the barrier. MotoGP are prototype motorbikes. It's the safest uh, leg of our sport, if you like, category of our sport across the board, and it needs to continue that way. Where do they start to bring that back? Where do we start to make it safer for riders? Can't change the tracks in many circumstances, so therefore, you've got to change the bikes in some way. Aero's been a bit of a pain and it's caught us out. You know, we've got more aero than we've ever had, and it's working now. And now we're getting sort of ground effect. Now we've got Aprilia that are really, really working well. How stable did those bikes look at the weekend? This is going to be a problem moving forward. Easy trick, we give them bowling ball tyres, you know, a bit like the superbikes used to be, you know, put put some things that will last a, a million miles, you know, mahogany tyres. Do you want that in prototype racing? No, you don't really. You want the full development of everything you can, but you've got to get the rules package to come back to a situation where we're not outdating all of the tracks, where we're not, you know, having these injuries quite so much, where riders are, you know, in the old days, you had disparity between the bikes. So that gave you a natural breathing space, gave you a natural gap. Some bikes were better on brakes, some bikes were better in a straight line. You haven't gotten any of that anymore. They're all within thousands of a second. It's a case of careful what you wish for. We've got what we all wish for. Close motorbike racing, fast motorbike racing, that equals what we've got. Riders that are going to get hurt. Now that we've got 42 races in the year as well, that summer break can't come soon enough for some of them. That is for certain. That, that recuperation time is going to be much um, looked forward to. 
Paul Espargro, Enea Bastianini, Mark Marquez, Miguel Oliveira, all confirmed out for Argentina. Jorge Martin, Alessia Spargro, Ralph Fernandez, P, all picking up various forms of injury from uh, from from round one. It, it seems to me that this isn't so much a, oh, it's MotoGP, you know, it, it, it's always been dangerous. It, it seems like this is a sort of a bit of a bigger issue at, at large here. It, it does seem that way. But again, it comes back to what Keith is saying, which is let's not draw too much from one round. I think, you know, it is, yeah, it is a very unusual situation, but they're all different accidents, weren't they? I mean, right through practice, you had yeah. Holy was the, the, the lack of an air fence. Now, in fairness to, to to everybody, the circuit, things like that, the riders held their hands up and said, "Look, we haven't we hadn't asked for an air fence there." So this wasn't a situation like the gravel traps where they've been banging on for years to do something mm. and waiting. That they said, "Look, you know, we didn't ask for an air fence there because we didn't see it as a danger." And so the next morning there was an air fence there. So okay, it shouldn't happen, but they, you know, the circuit and everybody and and Tomei, the new safety officer, they did react well. Once it had happened, obviously it shouldn't happen, but it did. And they reacted to it. Um, you know, the other incidents, as Keith says, you've got Marini, you know, a racing incident. You fall off a bike, you land awkwardly. Things can happen, can't they? It's it's a tricky one. OK, the Marquez one was a, the most violent and obvious example. But coming back to what, what Keith says about, the, you, know, you know, what do you do with penalties and things like that? The other sort of sort of byproduct of having harsher penalties is you you can end up with races and even the world championship being decided by penalties. And we don't want that, do we? By, you know, if you've paid to see a certain rider race and he's banned, how do you feel about that? You know, if the World Championship is decided because a rider is is starting from the back of the grid or is or is not even there because he's he's been banned because these new harsher penalties. Again, it's, you know, fans don't want that either. You don't want the World Championship decided by penalties. So, you know, that's why I think naturally the, the stewards, if you like, don't like to get involved in that sense. But at the same time, there has to be a line somewhere to be drawn. In terms of the sprint race, I think, the way I have sympathy with what the riders were saying was they felt it's because it's so short, it does make those first few laps more intense. And added to that is the points only going to ninth. One team manager said to me, look, points for ninth. I mean, if you're back in 16th place on the first lap, well, why not just pull in, save engine mileage, save tires? I mean, you know, so I would... I would well, that, that is an option. I, I would, that is an option. I yeah, think, I would make them a bit longer. We'll make, them, make them a bit longer and give points to 15th. I mean, that, that would be an easy solution for it. That's, that's the one thing where I did have you know, thought that maybe the, it could be improved a little bit. But let's face it, sprint races are the way to go. You have three in Superbike, three races in Superbike, BSB. You know, other sports make it happen. And I think they'll get used to it. I think the argument, Pete, is that it's bang, 42 races. There, were no, there was no, we'll, we'll do it every other race. We'll have a sprint race every other race or we'll have one every, every couple of months or whatever it might be and at certain tracks. They went from 21 races to 42 races overnight. Now, you know, various riders and various managers that I've spoken to have different opinions on that. It, you know, some say it was forced on them. Some say they knew about it. You know, this has all been done since January. Everybody's known what's coming for, for, for quite some time. Now, what the level of consultation was between teams and riders, um, you can be fairly sure the manufacturers all knew what was coming up because they had to be prepared for it. There's no way that Dorna could force 42 races on them if the manufacturers couldn't achieve that level of uh, motor continuity or whatever it might have been it had to be something that was discussed at a high level at every level otherwise it couldn't happen if the manufacturers turned around and said well we're just not sending bikes because we can't do 42 races in the year so I kind of don't believe that people didn't know it was coming 
I understand where you know the shouting and screaming about the fact is that the, you know we weren't contracted to do it. We were contracted to do in twenty one Grand Prix. Now, does twenty one Grand Prix include twenty one sprint races? We're not even allowed to call it a race, are we? It's called a sprint. We're not supposed to put the word race on the end of it. How that works out, and I'll blame Formula One for that. But um, it's <laughs> yeah, one of those yeah. situations where, as I, I have to find a link there somewhere, Harry. Always, you know that. always. <laughs> but the point being is, is that it. I think people didn't take it seriously. People didn't realise just how much pressure this was going to be putting on 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 the riders at the end of the day. We all talked about the teams. We all talked about the costs involved in these, these extra races and how much they were going to be. You know, you've got an extra, extra allocation regarding the motors and stuff like that for the, for the year too. It's going to be, I mean, I mean, I think when we get to the end of this year, there's going to be a massive sigh of relief if we get to the end of the year without a, a, some kind of financial or revolt going on during the course of the year. I, I, I feel that it's building in the paddock to some kind of revolution that, that, you might have expected, if you've been smart, you might have been able to see this might have come. We talked about the the stresses that teams are going to have to go through. We talked about whether they were going to have to double crew during the course of the year because of the extra workload that these people were going to have to go through. And I think people kind of ruled out the riders a little bit in that, you know, they're doing similar mileage over the course of the weekend, but nobody can quite appreciate what you give to race what your mindset is to raise completely different from qualifying. It's completely different from, from free practice. It's everything. Yeah. When you get to Sunday night, after you've done it as as these blokes are absolute honed athletes, they get, they've used up everything. They've used up their mental capacity. Now we're using it up on a Saturday for a sprint race as well. The stresses of what goes through your head to focus on what you do, to be at that level of commitment. I don't think people can fully appreciate, and I think that's where Alaysh is coming from, um, pretty much. Although I, I, it always seems like a whinge when Alaysh puts it out there, but I do understand what he's saying, and I think younger riders kind of seem to be able to just ignore it and get on with it because they just love being on the motorbike. Probably ninety percent of the field are like that, but then you've got the older guys and ones that are slightly more vulnerable when it comes to the risk. Yeah, Maverick Vinales had a brilliant weekend. Now I wasn't expecting that because I thought this scenario would beat Maverick up. He would find it difficult to fight in the manner that you're going to have to fight to be at the front because he's shown that in the past. He's been a bit fragile in the old brain department. But he looked good all weekend. He looks fast. And that Aprilia looks stable. The the reason I heard for it not above sprints at every round is because there might have been a difficulty with some events saying, well, hang on a minute, they've got a sprint race and I haven't. And so it was just, well, okay, everyone gets treated equally. But you know, that is the difficult... Uh, yeah. And we should say, Quattararo is another one who, you know, he's been consistently against the sprint race right from the start and he still doesn't enjoy it. And he's not, you know, he's certainly not the oldest guy on the grid. So there, there is, you know, riders of all ages that are not too keen on it. But he did say, Quattararo said, look, give us two full Grand Prix races. He'd rather have two full races. It's 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 the shorter race, the intensity of those early laps on the Saturday. But that's what makes and the it. Fact that, but that's, that's what makes it. If you're, if you're trying to broaden the whole thing out, that's what makes it that little bit of difference. It makes the difference. I mean, there were riders talking on the weekend. Let's have three short races. <laughs> two on Sunday. Let's have, let's have three sprint races. Two on Sunday. Yeah, a well, bit like Superbike. Paco's just come out and said um, he thinks the Grand Prix, all Grand Prix distances should be shortened because they now have the sprint race. What do you reckon about that? I I I think there is value in that personally. I mean, Pete was talking about length in the sprint race, but I, I think Ooh. you know. But having said that, 
again, you know, I don't know, 45 minutes of racing as we are at the moment, pretty much on a Sunday. That ain't a lot. That's not a lot. You know, value for money comes into this a little bit as well. And strategy comes into it too. Now you need, I, I know that the bike fans are not big on strategy. They don't like this idea of having to stay calm for a couple of laps and keep the tires in and all the rest of it. But that's what you get with this kind of prototype racing. That is the, again, Formula One, it's the halfway house, isn't it? We don't want pit stops. We don't want that kind of stuff. Okay, if it's a flag to flag, then yeah, we get that. But but yeah, you, you want sort of a, a situation where there, it can be mixed up. I mean, a, a great example was on Sunday. Johan Zarco had kept his motorbike in precondition to the last lap and a bit and just put himself in a brilliant position. And I feel that mature riders, people that can stay calm, that have got their head on the game, will make this series work for them. The likes of Zarco, that bit of thinking, there's going to be a lot of riders that are going to go, huh, crafty old Frenchman, he got it worked out pretty well. And and he put himself in a brilliant position. And I like that kind of mix-up, if you like, that, that makes it work. You know, Jack Miller, huh, where did that come from? You know, like we were all screaming about it. You know, like Jack Miller. Couldn't happen to a nicer bloke, I've got to say. I mean, like he looked like he's been booted out of Ducati and he... You know, he took the, the consolation KTM ride, it would it would seem, right up to the point of the weekend. And then he comes out with that kind of ride and everybody's going, ah, KTM does work after all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not only that, it, it's a chance for Jack to show his talent, isn't it? Because the trouble is when you're on the Ducati, it's like it's like all the guys on the Ducati, it's, yeah, but you're on the best bike, isn't it? It's that problem it, that goes all the way back to things like Valentino leaving Honda, isn't it? Because people he was fed up of people saying you're on the best bike. You know, Jack is no longer on the best bike, and now we're really seeing what he can do. And, and as Keith says, surprise of the weekend. I mean, fantastic. Um, Oliveira would have been a close second. Brad Binder also amazing on Sunday with that neck pain that he still had from the test. Big step from the sprint race. Um, and, and just talking about the bit of what Keith was saying about the sprinting riders getting their head around it. Another thing they have to get their head around maybe is that the gaps between the the, the positions, the points gaps, tiny. From third to ninth, it's only one point for each position gain. So, you know, some people are saying, look, they might just have to think twice about how crazy they put some of the passes because it's for one point. You know, the big gap, the big points are still on the Sunday. So I think we might see people just go, you know what, maybe it is better to settle for a position in the sprint race. If you're lower down, maybe. If you're not, at the, if you're at the front, you're, I should say it was the classic thing as well. The people at the front in the sprint loved it. You know, it was the classic thing. Yeah, if, you, if, if you go well, you love it. You know, the Bezeckis, the the people like that. Okay, finish. But he, you know, he liked the the format of it. All the guys, as ever. If you go quickly, you like it, don't you? I think you're right in what you said earlier, Pete. That we will see people dropping out. Why put the mileage on your bike if you're not scoring points on a okay. on a Saturday? Um, I think that we will see more of that retirement situation. You know, teams are going to be, they've gone into overdrive evaluating what happened at the weekend. Everybody is going to have their, their, their sheets out trying to work out exactly where they're going for the next one. And it's trickier the next one. As I already mentioned, Argentina, dirty racetrack. It'll be dirty. It'll take ages to clean up. Low grip. You know, tricky track as well in places. It's going to be, I, I, I love it. There. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a riot on track and off. But it's, it's going to be difficult for a lot of riders. And what you said earlier on, 37 points. You can grab a... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Massive hat full of points early on in the year. But then we haven't got to lose sight of the fact that Pekko Bangnaya came back from a 91-point deficit last year. Yeah, yeah, it can that's be forever going to remain a caveat <laughs> any time. Any time you talk about points. Yeah, but remember when Pekko... <laughs> well, that, that's surely what they'll be telling Bastianini, isn't it? But, I mean, you, you can't help yeah. but think this is just... But if you're, if you're Ducati, but psychologically, it, your man now is Pekko, isn't it? Reigning champion. Perfect in the first round. Okay, they might not be a number one, but let's be honest. The other guy... Well, he's riding with it. He's in hospital. He's, he's took the pressure off. He's yeah. took the pressure off Pecco massively because Bastianini was always going to be the thorn in the side, wasn't it? And all of a sudden, Pecco's been allowed to get you know a double under his belt, nice and easy. Looked like he you know he had no trouble at all. It was a, it was a quality ride from Bangalore. Um, Both another another standout. I, I was going to talk about talk about Peko, but you've you've done that now. But Alex Marquez, um, I thought uh, uh, you you've been raving about him in preseason, Keith. Qu- a quiet weekend for Alex, relatively, but quietly to to fifth in the Grand Prix, just pipped by Zarco. But he was in a bit of a almost like a race long battle, really, in that sort of fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh uh, with the two KTM's as well. So good to see Alex Marquez up there in the top five. Well, unlike his brother, he seems to have that little bit of um, extra maturity when it comes to he's smart. You know, he, he's he's put himself in a position. He's a he's a bit more cerebral, cerebral. That's the word um, than probably Mark. Mark is a he's a gladiator. He's just going to go in fist flying and then get on with it. And because of his mega talent, as I said to you before, his magic that he seems to have, he gets away with stuff usually. Alex has had to work a little harder at it in all the championships he's won, Moto3, Moto2, and now MotoGP. He loves this bike. He's got on with it from day one. I thought it was a very mature... Yeah, maybe you know being pipped by Zarco would have properly cheesed him off, but at the end of the day, it was still a good ride from Alex Marcus, and he's come away with a hat full of points. 
Yeah, I mean, for the first, I think he just ran out of tyre. That's certainly what Jack Miller thought at the end because he was he was giving his sort of rundown. And as Keith said, Zarco saved his tyre, had all this knowledge of the Ducati. And of course, it was Mark uh, Alex's first race, full race distance, just like it was for Miller. Miller said, you know, I've never done 25 consecutive laps on this bike. So Miller was a bit the opposite way. He was a bit too conservative in terms in the early laps with his tyre because he didn't want to drop off a cliff at the end. And Alex did kind of drop off the cliff at the end. So, but I mean, that's to be expected, but they've never done a, a, a full race on their, on these new bikes that they've got. So he's going to learn a lot as well as being quick. He's going to learn from this a lot going into the, the next race. Forgive me if I uh, missed this over the weekend, but his teammate, the Gian Antonio, any reason why he was not really there? Ugh. No, 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 no obviously. I, think that, <laughs> I didn't. I, I'm just wondering if I missed. Oh, did he have an issue, or is this, did well, he have well, a neck problem, or something? Well, obviously, he had an issue at the yeah. test, and he he was concussed at the test, so he missed the last yeah. day of testing, and maybe that put him behind in terms of his bike setup and things like that going into the weekend. And um, as Keith said, everyone else was pretty much refined; they knew what they wanted, and away they went. So maybe he was playing catch up there, but uh, but yeah, because he'd been strong in testing. I mean, he up to mm. the point where he was injured, he was uh, he was a close match for the other Ducatis. Well, because well, similarly, you know, you look at, looking at the other side of the garage, perhaps we were talking about, you know, Miguel Oliveira looking good on that Aprilia. The Aprilia is looking good in general. Maverick Vinales you know, sort of outperforming Aleix as well. But Ralph Fernandez, again, a, a bit of a, an anonymous weekend for him too, in comparison to Miguel, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the Aprilia is shaking out, isn't it? I mean, when are we going to start getting the um, psychological wars between Mav and teammate Alex, it's going to happen. I mean, of, of the two, I would say that Maverick has um, the greater headroom talent-wise. I think Aleish is a you know a great rider, but I think Maverick Vinales has proved in the past to be, I hesitate to say better rider, but certainly a man with that extra step that he could make if he could just make it. Does that make any sense? Mm. You know, he's, he's allowed his head to, to get fried, at, you know, particularly in a dogfight before, but I think Maverick Vinales, once he settles... He's going to be head and shoulders above the rest of the Aprilia mob, in my view. Rail, well, I mean, it, it, it's round one. You know, I know. <laughs> it's that too old harsh, thing. really. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you, you can you can you can lose a, a you know, race on lap one and not win it. And I mean, I think the same thing goes about the rounds. You can you know, you can win a championship at round one or not, as the case may be, as we're seeing already with so many thirty-seven points already to Peco. You know, long way to go, I know, but. You'd rather be in his position than anybody else's. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a strange thing with Maverick, isn't it? Because we always expected him to sort of take the lead of the Aprilia project because when they when he was teammates with Aleish before at Suzuki, that's kind of what happened, even though he was a rookie. But it just shows that Aleish has sort of matured, doesn't he, like the fine wine and, and got stronger as the years have gone on. Um, I mean, it was about, as with Fabio, it was a bad weekend for Aleish, largely down to the qualifying. Just, just like you know, they were eleventh and twelfth, weren't they, Fabio and Aleish? And, and you know, on a track that's not that easy to pass, it set them back. Um, and obviously, we're talking about penalties, of course. Uh, you know, Joan Mir clattered into into Fabio in the sprint race, didn't he? And he did get a penalty. We talk, you were talking about Marini mm. not getting a penalty, Keith, in that same race. So it was another one where there was a penalty for one incident and not for another. But um, yeah, Aleish, Aleish, you know, he he didn't feel like he got the best. I think he said the fastest up of the race, so he had the speed. But again, he, you know, once you qualify badly with everything so close, as Keith said, I mean, the, the fastest laps of the race, top eight riders were all within sort of a tenth of a second. It was crazy close. So, you know, a lot of, as a lot of people have said, qualifying is one of the most important sessions of the weekend. In fact, I think it was Alicia that said it. He said, look, 
you, you know, in fact, Friday practice is more important than even than qualifying because that gets you into the top 10. So as long as you get through into the, you know, if you're into the top 10, you know, you're in Q2, at least, you know, you're going to start in the top 12. But if you mess up Friday now and you might not even be in the top 12, well, you're then going to suffer in the sprint race and the main race. So it's, it's a real, the Grand Prix weekend right from Friday is, is massive pressure. Haven't we had a bit more pressure to it, a bit more intensity? I think that the um, sprint race um, finishing positions, which will keep everybody in the race, should be where you qualify for Sunday. That'll properly make it interesting. And, and that way we'll stop anybody from dropping out if they're not scoring points, if it's, if it's crucial to get through to grid positions for Sunday. So maybe there's still a bit of room for tweaking it come 2024 when we get um, sprint racing next and year. And interesting, that, it would make that would also penalise people that, that made mistakes and fell. And so it would be sort of a natural deterrent, wouldn't it, against, against any sort of over-optimistic moves, shall we say? Because if you, if you crash out a bit, you're going to be starting at the back of the grid. That's an interesting point. Maybe, you know, in some of the other championships... Would that make the sprint race a bit more boring? Well, uh, but that's what happens in some of these other championships, isn't it? They use the sprint race as the grid. Yeah, I don't like I don't like that. But, but, I, I, yeah, but I, I personally prefer the fact that it doesn't. Yeah, it saw so many... You know, the sprint race was so intense is because you don't have that. Yeah, exactly. You can argue yeah. it either way. I mean, it's it's better for the show, definitely, to, to have well, it that's the one to open up, isn't it? To, that's the one to open up to um, Crash.net. Yeah. Yeah, let us know. know. Do you want the sprint race finishing positions to be to determine the Sunday grid positions or do you like it as it is? That's a good one. Let us know in the comments below. Well, it'll also also give an opportunity for riders that haven't had a good qualifying to to enhance their positions on a Sunday. It's like your free practice or your practice now, positions to get into qualifying and then qualifying if you've not made it work for you, you've still got an opportunity to move forward um, come Sunday, so there's a gradual build up through the weekend. I'm not an advocate, by the way. I'm just saying that there there are there yeah. are possibilities. You've I like I like the sprint race as it is. That absolute balls out, everybody flat stick. I was looking forward to it, and I wasn't disappointed by it. I was disappointed by some of the coming togethers, but I just think you're going to get that anyway. I just think the whole mentality at the moment, and I think riders. They're almost into a false sense of security with our safety situation now. Riders get away with big crashes now. Riders get away with massive offs into gravel traps and airbags and bloody air fences and everything else. I mean, there are so many things that seem to make them well fearless. You know, in our day, yeah, I always used to smile at people that used to say, "Ah, oh, we know how to fix that. We'll just have the gravel trap or the grass right up against the white line. They won't be using the green paint then. Which is fair enough. You did leave a little bit of a margin because if you touch the green, the, the grass or the gravel, you were down the road. Um, so there is actually some reasoning behind making the, the, the penalty a bit harsher if you um, move off the track a little bit. But as it is at the moment, I think mentality in a rider's head is it's absolutely everything into mm. every corner, every breaking point, every time. There's no leeway at all anymore. And I think that's the mentality. And you can't just dial that out. That's now here. We are now, we have motorbikes that do what they do with riders that are prepared to do what they do. And you can't suddenly penalize against that and bring it back. It's almost like a cultural thing. We've, we've got to this point. And there's no way that you can suddenly dial that out. We're, good, we're set with this now until we get to a point where rules-wise, you know, do we go back to 800s? I hope not, but it's just a suggestion. You know, like where are we going to pull that performance back? Technology mustn't be 
mustn't be thwarted. We must have a proper prototype series where technology is moving forwards, that we keep on innovating, we keep finding more from a motorbike because that's what Grand Prix racing is about. But how do we stop them from getting too fast? You know, what was the old rally cars? Group B, was it? The lunatic ones that used to go so bloody fast they were dangerous to everybody, spectators, drivers, passengers, the whole job. They had to legislate against them in the end because they'd gone too far. And I, I get the, the only analogy I can think of at the moment, but how do we do that with, with MoGP bikes? Do we give them, you know, bowling ball tyres, as I said a bit earlier on? Do we take all aero off? You know, I was looking up aero the other day. I was looking at a Gary Nixon, a picture of Gary Nixon's bike that had been developed by, I think, Irv Kenimoto back in the day. It was a TZ750MR. And it had got this great big cowl fairing over it. And then I thought, do you know what? I built a bike for the British Grand Prix once that had this had this really slim tank on it so I could get my knees in. And I used a Rotax fairing that went around my legs. So we were, we've always thought about aero and how to... Funniest thing about that, just as an aside, I built this tank. I got it built by a firm called Donfab up near Derby. And I got this tank built. And it's only when I fitted it and looked at it, and it looked like a giant penis. Because <laughs> 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 I, I could get my legs in behind the, the, the sort of head of it. <laughs> I could get them tucked in. Sorry for that if you're having a breakfast or wherever yeah. you are in the world. <laughs> but it, it was it was my attempt at aero to get my rather long legs in inside the tank to try and get the air flowing over. So aero has always been a thing. It's going to be very difficult to legislate against aero devices of some kind. Um, whether ride height adjustments should be thrown out, all kinds of you know ride height, so it it stops you from getting out of the corner down the straight a bit, you know, a few mile an hour faster. Or, or or into the into you know off the start line into turn one a bit too quick and so on. I don't know. It's going to have to be a technical thing that the teams are going to have to the manufacturers sorry are going to have to agree up front together before Danny Aldridge and the team at Erta and and Dorna um, oversee it. It's going to be a tough task to bring us to keep our sport as a prototype sport and developments going forward, but yet pull back a little bit from the brink of where we are at the moment. Two hundred twenty-five mile an hour at Mugello, you know way over 200 mile an hour in a lot of places. Has anybody listening to this been at 200 mile an hour? You know, I race Grand Prix 500cc motorbikes and have not been at 200 mile an hour. You know, 180 mile an hour, mate, it seems quick, especially when you fall off. But 225 <laughs> mile an hour seems incredible. And when you stand at the side of a track and see a bike go past and the force at which the violence of the airflow that almost blows you off your feet at that, it's breathtaking. It is breathtaking, and maybe we're just a bit too far down that road. And with the with the, the aggression of riders, modern day riders that feel like they're impervious to, to injury, I think half these guys nowadays, um, the combination is is probably getting a bit too close to devastating. Just a small thing on the aero. Jack Miller had that rear wing, sort of a loop thing, didn't he? Oh yeah. If you saw it on the back of the bike. Uh, he, he said, you know, it's pretty ugly, isn't it? But it made a massive difference, he said. And, and he was getting good drive out of the corners. So this was a different effect toward compared to those sort of the veins or the Pokemon dinosaur sort of things that the other teams have, which is more for stability in, in the braking. So this one does actually give sort of more grip on the rear, accelerating out the well, corners. So it was a bit like we saw Yamaha try, didn't we? And Aprilia, we know, have had that one in the pipeline. So maybe, you know, we'll see that spreading to some other manufacturers because he certainly said it worked. It gives grip on the way in as well because it keeps the back wheel down. 
I mean, it gives you grip on the rear end. Yeah, these guys use more rear brake now than that was ever used in the in the past. I mean, you know, rear brake. You're smudging the rear brake all the time. You know, it's it's a you use the rear brake for so many more things than just just stopping. But to have that extra pressure in that first part of the braking area uh, to keep the rear end on the ground. You know, Jack Miller probably doesn't struggle as much with it because he's quite a long lad. He can push himself back in the bike. But you know, if you're a bit short in the wheelbase, Danny Pedrosa is a good example of that in the in the past. You know. He's only got short arms. He can't get his ass as far back as he needs to to shift his weight further back in, in some of the braking areas. What they used to call Efren Vasquez? I think that, actually that was a Jack Miller comment, wasn't it? Efren Vasquez in Moto3, if you remember, used to call him T-Rex. Plenty of bite, but short arms. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the Jack Miller phrase. Where is Efren nowadays? I miss him. Don't know. Well, you, you, anyway. you, bring, you bring up Moto three, so I'm going to use that as a segue because uh, we, we'll we'll come back to MotoGP as we look towards Argentina in a couple of days. But um, let's have a look at Moto three and Moto two, shall we? Um, at the end of uh, the weekend, it's uh, Danny Holgado who leads the way after round one in Moto three. P. What did you make of uh, of the action in in the third class? A good ride from uh, Rueda in, in his debut as well. It was, yeah. It was, it was a class, one of those classic Moto2 races, wasn't there? About 10 riders in the lead group fighting right the way to the finish. And, uh, a, a, you know, Holgado, first win, not only for him, but also for Tectois in Moto3, in the junior class. So that they can add that to their MotoGP uh, wins that they've had, their 250 GP wins they've won in Moto2. But this was the first time they've won in Moto3. So a little bit of history there for them, um, as well as Holgado's first, uh, first race win. Uh, and, and yeah, as you say, the the young guys, obviously on the podium, uh, Munoz, Moyera, second and third. You know, you know, this as we said, Moto three. There's always guys that step up, or, and Keith would say, there's no obvious favourites, is there? We were trying to pick them, weren't we, last week? But there's always yeah. people that kind of emerge. <laughs> Where was mine? Sasaki sixth. You know, um, I know because it's just so hard to predict. Yeah. Well, and, uh, well, my Masia was only one ahead of you. I think that's the point you're making. I mean, these young guys have come through, and they've they've immediately shone, and. It was impressive stuff. I've got to say that, that you know, some of them looking down the order, and we are not going to be able to pick this as the year goes on. I think that uh, it's going to be one of those fantastic years in Moto three and Moto two as well. I think we're going to be able. It's going to be another great year of Moto two racing. It's a shame it was so overshadowed. I mean, particularly here in Britain. I mean, we we had television that nobody could fathom here in the UK. I don't know how everyone else was doing around the world when it came to free practice and so on and so forth. But here in the UK. We didn't see half the things that we needed to see, and we didn't hear half the things we needed to hear, considering it was round one, which was a, a missed opportunity by our uh, host broadcaster. But there you go. That's another rant that I won't go into, I suppose. Um, shame for Scott Ogden. I was looking forward to Scott Ogden, the British rider, doing... You know, I, I got him to be right up there, but he, he got himself tangled up in the, in the early lap as well, which was a great shame for him. Joel Kelso... Um, <laughs> You know, looking really, really good in the race and then bloody getting tagged at, at the end. That was horrible. You never slow down. Do you know what? Someone hit me once in a... It, I t- I've just remembered where that was now. I'm trying to think about it since I saw Kelso on the floor. I was doing a paddock bike. It was the um, the long track, Nürburgring. Final, it was the final time they ever used the, the long track of the Nürburgring. And a fella called Chris Guy hit me up the backside when I was on the, on the start and finish line taking a look at the grandstand because it was a magnificent old grandstand and I'd stopped it's a practice day it wasn't even a, a proper day and I'd stopped and he hit me so hard it took me straight off the bike and it took me bloody leg off it's so easy to do that you you know you go back to McGee and Schobert at Laguna Seca when yeah I think it was McGee who was was doing a bloody burnout in the middle of the start and finish straight and was hit by Bubba Schobert and effectively finished both their 
their um, high-flying careers at that particular point. Never stop anywhere near the middle of the track. Somebody's not looking or celebrating with the crowd. But Joel, uh, Joel Kelso, I was really impressed with him as well. He's another one that was going really well. Yeah, he was leading, wasn't he, for a fair bit and then and fell into that, that pack. Uh, but yeah, glad, uh, well, uh, that incident, was the way the camera cut away straight as it happened as well just made it worse um but uh there we go that was moto three so uh, uh leading the way is uh, danny uh Olgada from unions and morera moto two then the wonder kid pedro costa starting off well leading the way after round one good rides from the brits as well i know keith you'll be keen to talk about dixon and lowe's and the best rookie sergio garcia ahead of darren binder in 15th yeah a lot to say about uh Pedro Acosta. I mean, I had him for winning it last year. I thought back to back he'd come off mm. of Moto three and go really, really well because he's got that kind of talent, hasn't he? I mentioned it earlier on. He's got the the magic that Marquez has when it comes to racing a motorbike and getting away with what he gets away with. So Pedro Acosta, bang on, Aki Io, he knows how bloody put some bikes together as well. That team is is particularly sharp. Aaron Cannon. Not a lot of people said a lot about Cannon, even though you know he's he's, he's my pick for the for the year. But um, he was looking pretty keen as well. I think once you get you need to get through these rounds without injuries. I think MotoGP mm. approved that. You know, we've got four. Actually, that's a good point. Actually, we've got four riders that are out for Argentina from Moto2. So four riders out of MotoGP, four riders out of Moto2, and there's two riders out of Moto3 as well. Going to be good. a war of attrition this year. Last man standing championship. Um, yeah, Kenneth impressed me as well. You know, I didn't think he'd be able to match Acosta and keep the pressure on him almost right to the chequered flag, didn't he? Yeah, I was impressed by that. I thought I thought Acosta's going to pull away here and, and, and you know, build up a buffer. But, you know, can it stay with him? And if that's a sign of things to come, it could be another... Could we have another Lorenzo Pedrosa sort of all-Spanish rivalry just developing? That would make it a tasty season, wouldn't it? I think can it show maturity in those closing laps? I think that he, he'd done what he did and stuck with him and then thought, he's got it. You know, he's got tyres that are left and I can't... I can't match him on that at the moment. So I think a very mature ride, and, and that, that's the kind of championship-winning ride that you're going to need to put over someone like Acosta. You drop around with Acosta riding the way he is at the minute, and you're done. Well, uh, most two, most three kicking off in nice style then. Uh, but what, crucially, has that done for our own predictions from last week? Well, I've done the mathematics. Um, Keith, uh, I've gone with your idea of half points for the sprint. So uh, you had, Keith, Banyaya for the win. So you get a full point on that one because you get half a point for Banyaya, half a point for putting him in the right position as well. So that's how we're going to do it this year. So you get one full point for that. Pete, you went uh, Martin, Bezecchi, Marini. So you get half a point for Jorge Martin. Right. Yeah, uh, this is the sprint race. Yeah, yeah. This is the sprint. And I went for Martin uh, Bastini and Zarco. So I get half a point as well for Jorge Martin. Uh, then in the Grand Prix, uh, Keith, you had Bagnaya, Alex Marquez, and Joan Zarco. So you get um, two points for Bagnaya. Uh, so that's uh, sorry. That's just changed my maths on that. So that gives you. <laughs> Come on, a grip, Harry. <laughs> Pete, you had Banyaya, Bastianini, and Quattararo, so you just get the one point. No, you get two points right? as well. Oh God, <laughs> you get two points as this well for <laughs> Banyaya. And then <laughs> I was so focused on myself because I'm in the lead. I get four bloody points for Banyaya, oh. Bastianini. And Bezeki as well. Thank you. First and third nailed on. So 
I'm in the lead with four and a half points. Keith, just behind with three points. And Pete, the straggler, just two points to the name. What are you showing me there? I'm just wondering where you get Bastianini from. I didn't put Bastianini. No, I got... Oh, didn't you? No, yeah, I got... I, I put Bagnaia, Bastianini, Bezzecchi. I don't get the points for Bastianini, but I get one, two points for Bagnaia oh. in first and two points for Bezzecchi. Oh, I get it. Yeah? Come on, I Keith, it. keep well, up. I see you're up. making the rules up. Keep up. This is the first time we've heard of any of this, folks. Yeah. Anybody wondering what's going on, me and Pete ain't got a clue. <laughs> no, Harry's running the show. This is the power I have. So either way, I'm winning and that's all that counts. Um, now, let's have a look forward, shall we, to Argentina. So uh, we'll, we'll come to uh, giving our proper predictions for this in a minute. But Keith, talk us through Argentina. Argentina, uh, fantastic racetrack. I Low grip, it'll be dirty for a couple of days, so we won't see the full potential of some of the riders until we get to Saturday, Sunday. Um, venue, it's kind of grubby. It's kind of 1980s. It's, it's one of those tracks that um, is on fire, quite literally, in some circumstances. If you remember, the whole place burned down just a few years ago. Um, the town of Termas de Rio Hondo is fantastic. It's a great big festival. All the squares are full. If you are a vegetarian, don't go. There is nothing to eat that's green anywhere at all. It's all meat. of Just about every variation of meat you could possibly come across and anything that's living off it. And it's a case of, um, I mean, it's one of them, I wouldn't say it's bucket list because it's a bit, it's just a long way to go. I mean, down to Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires is a great city as well. Um, from a British perspective, I mean, the one thing that I was very, very impressed with is that despite the fact that we've been at war with the Argentines and... At the end of the day, there is a massive memorial to the, the Malvinas, the Falkland Islands, if you prefer, um, in the middle of Buenos Aires. is a very heartfelt situation. I never felt once, and no other Brit that I knew, ever felt threatened or, or disrespected or anything else. They treated us really, really well when we were down there. So don't ever let that put you off if, if you think that is something to put you off anyway. A lot of class in Buenos Aires. You know, it is what it is. You know, there's a, a lot of culture down there. Um, but you've got to fly up to... Tucumán Airport, if you're if that's the way you go up to the north, it's quite a long way north. It's in the middle of nowhere, Termas de Rio Hondo. Um, hotels have got a lot better. Uh, they're known for spas, natural spas, hot water coming up through the floor. Um, you, you, your shower water is all a bit bubbly and, and smelly, like sulphur and stuff like that. So it's a bit different. It's definitely different. There isn't anywhere else like it that we go to. Um, I like it. Not everybody does. Well, right. <laughs> probably tells you everything if I like it. Yeah. Don't go. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, don't bother. Um, all right. Well, yeah, don't bother with that. Well, we're looking forward to it. It's just good to have back-to-back MotoGP action, and then we get a little break before we head to Cota, don't we? But, of course, we're missing a lot of riders for Argentina. So how does that affect our predictions? Um, let's start, please, with uh, sprint race, not a race, predictions. Um, Peter. You're up first. Your top three, please. Right. I'm going to go Bezeki. I think he's going to, <laughs> okay. he's going to build on his uh, the confidence from the main race. Uh, I'm going to put Martin second, even though he's injured. Of course, he, he went well there last year, didn't he? He pushed a leash right to the finish. Um, so I, I think he's a tough guy. He'll overcome this this foot injury and do something there. And Banyaya third, because he's just ungrateful. Uh, Banyai third. Um, who did you say second? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Uh, Bezek- uh, sorry, Martin. <laughs> Bezeki, Martin, Banyai. <laughs> I knew it was. Sorry, I was. I was. You know, I was, I was too busy thinking about who I was going to predict. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pete, Bezeki, Martin, and Banyai. Key. 
I'll listen this time. Tricky one, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I understand what you're saying, Pete, but I still can't get past Bangnaya as, as the winner. I've got to say, I mean, those straights suit that Ducati so well. He's riding so well. He's on a confident high. I'm going to go for him in both sprint and, and main race, I've got to say. Um, second place in the sprint, I'm going to have a bit of a leash. Oh, okay. I'm going to put a leash on the Aprilia in second place, I think. I just feel that that might be the go. Zarco's gone good there as well in the past. Um, but he's, is he a sprint race man? I don't think he is, to be honest with you. So will I go with... It's going to have to be Jorge Martin. Okay. Third. All right, then. Locked in. Banyaya Aleish Martin. I'm going for Jorge Martin as the winner of the sprint. Banyaya second. And I'm going to pluck for an Alex Marquez in third. That's what I'm going Not for. Not bad, that. Um, all right, then. GP. Uh, so, Keith, we'll come back to you. You've already got Banyaya in P1, if you're sticking with that. What's the rest of your, your I'm top I'm going to have an Alex Marquez in third place. Okay. Alex Marquez in third place. Um, it's just that second place situation. Maverick. Okay. Let's have a bit of Maverick yeah. in there. I'm gonna, I, I think um, long race distance, yeah. Maverick Vinales will settle down. Yeah, nice. Pete? I'm going Maverick for the win. So oh, I'm, I'm going to follow up on that yeah, and I'll put Banyaya second and I'll go Alaise third. So I, mean, okay. I imagine if, if our predictions come true, it's going to be a hell of a weekend, isn't it? You know, the I know. Winners, be... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was also going to go for a Vinales win. Um, Bagnaya second, and I'm going to put Jorge Martin third on the podium for me. So, well, we'll see. I think if round one sort of taught us anything, it's that, you know, we all coming into this thing, oh, KTM will be soft the pace. Fabio will definitely be in the hunt for a podium. It's going to be Ducati 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And you can't, you can't actually call it. You just can't. And, so, and especially this weekend. I mean, Guidotti, uh, the KTM team manager, as he put it, it's a blank page this weekend. You mm. know, as Keith was explained, there's no testing here. It's barely ridden at this track. You know, in a way, this is the real season opener, if you like, in terms of, we're not going to know what's going to happen until people go out there. Somebody that we haven't even imagined might suddenly KTMs, as you say. You know, who knows? Well, low grip stuff. I mean, if if you if you're talking about low grip and being able to use, you know, low grip tires, who's 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 work who works best with that? You know, who's going to be using those low grip tires? And uh, there are one or two teams, one or two riders who set up will suit this racetrack better. Now. I've, I've not had time to get through all of the pages of information and data from the weekend. Uh, so prediction-wise, I haven't really gone with the with the data side. Like the teams will be working on that massively um, on the flights while we speak at the moment, while everyone is flying across there. The only snag that I can see really with Termas is we had a situation where flights couldn't get up there um, before because of the fog that flew, blew in and you know diff- difficulty with airlines. This is a... You know, logistically, it's a nightmare of a place to get to from because you've got long flights down to Buenos Aires to start with. All this stuff has had to come out of Portugal, be flown straight down to Buenos Aires, and then has to be transferred onto local airlines up to Tucumán and then transferred on these tatty old trucks across to the track. That's a big deal with just one weekend bef- between, you know, with no weekends between, sorry, just one week between races. We'll see whether everybody gets there and everything makes it there. Then we've got the logistics of spare parts. With all these crashes going on, I worry a little bit about whether they're going to run out of bits but <laughs> some way into the race uh, season. What, what's the deal as well? Sorry, just on you talk about spare parts on on rider rider replacements. What, what's the situation around that for those that can't well, be there? 
There's none this weekend. Okay. I mean, there's no rider replacements for MotoGP at all. Um, they are contracted into if a rider is going to be off for a certain length of time, then they've got to replace them. Right. Actually, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought it up because I actually wrote it in my notes and then completely forgot about it. <laughs> that we, we may come at a situation where, dare I say, Formula One again, where we have those spare riders per team, where we have test drivers, test riders, like you have in Formula One. Um, now, there are obviously test riders, Cal Crutchlow, Yamaha, you know, Salvador, likely a Ducati. Yeah, there are test riders. But I wonder if that is going to be a feature moving forward. Mm. If there is more of a risk in rider injury because of sprint races, because of the way we're riding at the moment, racing at the moment, is that going to be a situation where teams are going to look more at having backup riders? So, therefore, we get the likes of Top, top Rack, Razgadioglu, um, in spare, you know, gets an opportunity to ride a bike. It's almost like a test, but not a test. It's an actual race. Very exciting if that's what's going to happen, if, if that is necessary for teams to actually put that in place. I've said it before that we might get that with team personnel. You know, burnout, team personnel is, is, is counterproductive. If you've got a guy that's absolutely knackered and he can't read the data and he can't do his job properly, you've got to shift him out of there and move someone else into his seat. Otherwise, it's, 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 you know, the progress that the team will make will be non-existent. And maybe that's the same with riders. Maybe we're going to have a situation where backup riders are going to have to be around. They're, they're going to have to contract these guys from Superbike or wherever just to keep the ball rolling. I think it's you're allowed to miss one race, aren't you? They don't have to. Yeah. Uh, and so if look at Paul Espargaro. I mean, he looks like he's going to be out. Could be half a dozen races, couldn't it? So then you're looking at. You know, Danny Pedrosa, we know, is, is, is on in line for Jerez, isn't he? He's going to do a wild card. But there's, they've also got Folger now as well, haven't they? So maybe he'll come in. I, but but that, that would be the seat because it sounds like Bastianini should be back for Cota. So Piro wouldn't be needed in that scenario. You, you know, uh, Marquez and Olip, uh, Oliveri, you imagine, will also be back for Cota. But I think Pole is the one where they're going to, right now, they're going to need a, to find a replacement. And then on the spare parts side, I think the, the nightmare scenario I've heard of is um, the Saturdays again, if you have an incident in qualifying, you, you total the bike and then you have a flag to flag sprint race. So you need Oof. both bikes. That's the one that, that the teams are sort of a bit worried about spare parts wise, because if you need to have two bikes ready for the sprint and there's a big accident in qualifying, you could be up against it time wise. My worry was, uh, I was just thinking while you were saying that about Danny Pedrosa, you imagine standing on the threshold of the garage, looking at this lot going completely bonkers in Portugal and you might get... You know, the old cowpoke push you out. Go on, get out. You've got to go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're up. <laughs> Carnage. Stand up, we shot. Carnage and chaos. Uh, well, a couple of days to go until we get bikes back on track. That just about does it for us. Lots to uh, squeeze in. Thank you for sending your questions as well. In the gap between uh, Argentina and Cota, we'll make sure to get all of those answered as well when we've got a bit more time. But in the meantime, make sure you are tuned in across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And we'll be back with you next week. Pete, are you in Argentina or not? I can't remember. Uh, no, I'm not. And I've never been there. And I've, yeah, it's, it's one I've, oh. yeah, I'm afraid I, it's one I've never been to. So uh, all right. I would love well. to go after Keith's, you know, previews uh, raving review yeah exactly so uh yeah no i haven't been <laughs> everything i do is raving <laughs> raving <laughs> review <laughs> well I, okay well i won't say pete will be down on the ground because uh, he won't be but uh he will be at various events this year don't you worry our, our man on the inside uh get your questions in 
leave them in the comments uh, section or you can uh, email us. It's podcast at crash.net. Make sure you follow us uh, on social media as well. And uh, importantly, you can leave us a review to wherever you get your podcasts, particularly Apple and Spotify, please. It really helps uh, the algorithm, etc. But uh, from myself, Harry Benjamin, from Pete McLaren and from Keith Ewan, we shall see you after Argentina. Bye-bye. <laughs>